Hi, I'm Molly Weinberg, and I'm a Philly-based lifestyle influencer who gives all the deets when it comes to wellness, travel, even entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Molly Weinberg Podcast, where I chat with experts ranging from gut health specialists to fashion icons and everything in between. I want to share all the specifics to help you live your best life. I'm not sparing any details. Yep, no questions are off limits. Every week, you will walk away from each episode feeling more motivated and more informed than before. Tune in weekly to the Molly Weinberg Podcast to never miss a beat. I kept my mind open and I just found myself always coming back to dermatology. I love making people feel better about themselves. And I'm a very vibrant person. I like to have fun. I like to keep a smile on everyone's face. And it's my way to kind of allow people to just relax and feel like they're themselves and not feeling uncomfortable about something that they might have had a stigma about. I am sure it does not surprise you that Botox and filler is a question I am often asked about. It's a hot topic. I don't see this conversation going anywhere. I don't see this industry going anywhere. And if anything, it's going to get bigger and bigger as the years go on because my generation and the generations to come after me don't care what people think. So they are way more open and honest about work they've had done, work they want done, and all the in-between. So with that being said, I wanted to bring on a very special guest. This is my personal injector, Brianne Beards from Ringfeld Dermatology in both Center City, Philadelphia and Haverford out in the suburbs. It doesn't really matter if you're local or not. You're going to want to hear this episode to learn a ton about cosmetic dermatology. For reference, Brianne is a board-certified dermatology physician assistant. This isn't her telling me to say this. This is me saying this. She is a whiz when it comes to knowledge. You'll see in this episode, I could ask her anything, and she is just oozing with information and knowledge, and she is so educated. I cannot wait for you guys to tune into this. It's a really good one. I do mention this in the show, but I just want to point out, especially in the intro, if you are local, Brianne is someone who you 100% want as your injector because she is comforting. She is funny. She is entertaining. She just makes you feel at home within seconds. I literally told her, I wish every doctor and medical professional had her level of bedside manners because my God, if people did, it would be a game changer. So without further ado, let's get the Botox filler, cosmetic dermatology, and everything else juicy. Thank you, Brianne, so, so much for being here today. I can't wait to dive into this topic. This is a good one. I'm so, so excited. Botox is one of my favorite things, so I'm ready. I think we should start with the stigma of Botox because oftentimes I see, I hear, I overhear people talking and speaking poorly about anything that's in air quotes superficial. So how do you navigate that conversation? Totally. I mean... It differs from age to age for sure, whether someone is 20 years old or 50 or 70 years old. Um, And it also differs, differs between men and women. However, at the baseline, I'm a firm believer in you do whatever the heck makes you happy. And whether that's Botox or no Botox, that's your decision. And you can either choose to tell nobody or you can choose to tell the entire world, right? And I'm just a firm believer, especially in this day and age, that 
you know, be authentically who you are and don't hide that from anybody for any shape or form. So that's kind of like a baseline. Um, but there used to be this stigma that Botox is kind of what you see on the Real Housewives of Orange County or Beverly Hills and that everybody is frozen to death, right? And the issue is that those people aren't just getting Botox. They're getting probably an entire bottle of Botox, plus 10 syringes of filler, plus lasers, plus fat transfer, and gosh knows what else. And it's just that name Botox is such a brand name that everybody knows that I think all of plastic surgery, unfortunately, has been under this name of Botox. And that's just not the fact. So I just like to tell my patients, you know, my goal is to soften you and to achieve a refreshment of your face, not to change how you look. And I'd rather have to add than do too much. And you'd be like, who the heck is in the mirror? That is so interesting because I've never heard anyone say that take on it where you see everyone on Real Housewives and people categorize all plastic surgery as Botox. And you're so right. Like the more I'm thinking of this, you're so right. People just assume that any procedure is under the umbrella of Botox, which is not the case. A thousand percent. I couldn't agree more. When I shared my very first time getting Botox on Instagram stories, the most common question, and I think I even asked you this in the office, but I'm going to ask you again, how early and what's the right time to actually get preventative Botox? Mm-hmm. I think it's really important for people to know that you're not going to die from wrinkles, right? So you don't have to do anything and there really is no perfect timing. The issue is, and this is an extreme example, that if let's say you wait until you're 80 years old, that has been 80 years of you frowning at your husband or raising your eyes in surprise you know, about your sister saying something crazy. My point being, it's a lot of years of expression indenting those lines in your face and at that point I might be able to soften it a little bit but I'm never going to be able to get it gone completely so preventative Botox the way that it kind of works is that we're injecting into the muscle to create a decreased muscular movement preventing those lines from ever really ingraining there in the first place so sometimes people come in and they're like oh these lines don't bother me yet But that's the whole point. That's actually the time that you really want to start because your lines will never really ingrain in there if you start young enough. That honestly makes complete sense. It sounds cliche, but it really makes sense. Yeah, it's it I mean the science of it is really easy. We're injecting a toxin to soften the muscular movement so that you're not getting I like to explain it like an accordion. I think that's the easiest way to think about it, whether it's this way on your forehead or this way on your frown lines or this way on your crow's feet. And then it just softens that over time. Now on the flip side of that, I have some of my patients that come in and they want their lines completely gone after just one treatment. And I have to explain that it might take several series of Botox, aka a longer amount of time of not using that muscle to get them to completely go away. I was actually going to ask you if you could talk a little nerdy to me and explain the science behind it. So that's amazing that you just did. You're putting a toxin into whatever area in the... Wait, does it go anywhere else in the body aside from the face? There are actually a lot of different areas. And I think when we talk about Botox, we always talk about forehead lines, frown lines, and crow's feet. Mm -hmm. But a lot of areas I treat cosmetically, bunny lines, um, the little kind of scrunchy lines that we can get. I can do a gummy smile, a lip flip, pebbly chin, um, just the smoker's lines around the mouth, uh, chiseling the jawline a little bit, TMJ, which can be to both slim the jawline and to help with the pain that you can get from bruxism or clenching your jaw at bedtime. But neurologists 
use it for migraines. Neurologists or sometimes an ortho, they'll inject it into the neck if you're having any spasms and in some kind of neurologic issues like torticollis. So it's used in a lot of different areas and in different amounts for those reasons. Is it true that people use it for controlling like excessive sweating? Yes, a thousand percent. I actually do that. Thank you for bringing that up, Molly. You're so smart. Um, We use that a lot, actually, in the armpits and in the palms. Uh, And what it does is it kind of just stops the release of kind of the neuromuscular junction, and that can help with some of that sweating action. The results are not immediate. They take about two to four weeks to fully go into effect, but the effects can last four to six months of no sweating. So it's been life-changing for a lot of patients. And you can sometimes get it covered by insurance. We love that. Everybody needs (laughs) insurance coverage, right? Yes. Who is not a candidate for Botox? So if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, it's an absolute no-go. And the reason being is that there are no clinical studies on it. Nobody's going to line up a bunch of pregnant and nursing women and be like, let's see what happens to your baby, right? And so it's just for the safety um, of all of our patients that they do not do it whenever they're pregnant or nursing. Um, But as soon as they're finished with both of those things, they can start whenever. And that's the same thing for filler, by the way. We also don't do it with people that have a personal or immediate family history of myasthenia gravis, which is a neuromuscular disorder, that if you kind of have the gene for it, the Botox can maybe bring it to fruition. It is rare, but we do like to caution. I've actually only come across one person that that's been the case for. And then there are relative contraindications. If you've had blood thinners within seven days beforehand, like Advil, um, ibuprofen is the generic name, aspirin, fish oil, ginkgo, St. John's wort, it puts you at a higher risk of bruising. But I just tell my patients, throw some ice on it. It's worth it. Yeah. My last trip in, I forgot that rule or tidbit. And when the nurse had asked if I've used that in the past seven days, I was like, actually, yeah, two days ago, I had horrible cramps. And I was like, ugh, I was like, do I have to leave now? Like now what happens? And she was like, no, you just might have a little, you know, worse bruising, but I had no bruising. So good job. Thank you very much. I appreciate (laughs) it. No, I appreciate it. And, And some people will choose if they, you know, they'll end up being like, well, you know what? I have a bridal shower in two days. And if I'm in a higher risk of bruising, I really don't want to do that. And that kind of brings me to another point is to not do it right before a major event, especially your first time. Never a good idea to start something new that quickly to something else. Yeah, what is the right timeline for having Botox so you're not looking like a bruised potato? Mm -hmm. So the thing with the bruise, I mean, the bruises tend to not last long at all, usually in about a week's time. It's more so the effects of the Botox. So uh, Botox is not immediate which is kind of surprising, I think, to a lot of people. You might start to notice it in about three days to a week, but the full effect cannot be judged until 14 days after the injection. And so let's say you have a wedding coming up in two weeks, well, what if that goes into effect in two weeks and you're a little bit off? It's your first time and you have a stronger muscle on the right or left and then you're a little spock eyed. That's a no go. So I say at least a month before. That way we have two weeks to do any touch ups and then the two weeks for that touch up to go into effect if need be. Mm, you brought this to light when I was in last. Can you explain the girl who posted on TikTok about how she had a horrible reaction to Botox and why she had a horrible reaction to Botox? Yes, correct. So That is definitely the thing that my patients are most concerned about. And um, that woman who, you know, 
brought a lot of information about it onto TikTok and Instagram, which I think is great, you know, to educate people on possible side effects, is this drooping lid. And it's it's truly called ptosis, where the eyelid muscle, it's called the palpebral muscle that allows us to open and close our actual eyelids. If Botox is either injected directly into that muscle or injected too much in a nearby area and it kind of floods into that muscular area, it can temporarily cause you to not be able to lift the eyebrow muscle. In her situation, and I think in some other people's situations, what's important to know is to wait that full two weeks. If you go back sooner than two weeks and you're like, Brie, it's not working for me. I need more. And I were to inject at that point more Botox. Well, then in two and a half weeks, you're going to have double that dose and a possibility of too much of that toxin in that muscle. And this is a little sciencey, but the Botox, it automatically kind of attaches to the muscle receptors. And if those muscle receptors are already inhabited by enough toxin, where else is the rest of that Botox going to go? And that's where you can run into real problems. And so it's just so crucial to be patient, wait that two weeks, try to go to the same injector, at least for touch-ups, because if you go somewhere else, they're not going to know your history and how many units you had to prevent complications like she had. What is the typical dosage? Mm. Well, depends on what area we're talking about, and it totally depends on the amount of movement. Um, usually in the forehead, I do anywhere. Well, depends if you have pre-K Botox like Molly. <laughs> we're going strong with five units, seven units. Five units, and we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> usually in the forehead, I do anywhere from six units to 12 units in a female. Men to happen to have way stronger muscles, especially in the forehead region. So I usually can do, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20 in the forehead. Now in the frown lines, it's actually a composition of three different muscles. You have a muscle called the procerus in the middle and two corrugators on the side. So it takes a lot more units, um, usually anywhere from 15 to 22 in that region. And then on the crow's feet, you can do anywhere from eh, six to 12 on each side. So, you know, it can add up quickly, which is why it's not a super cheap thing to do. What's the typical price per unit? So someone listening doesn't feel like they're getting either overcharged or maybe it's like too cheap and it's like, wait, like, is this sketch? I know. And I, you do have to be careful with all of these Groupons and all of these sales and specials. And yes, we all have them. Like I have the first Tuesday of every month is Botox special day and I do 20% off because I get that it's expensive and I want my patients to be able to have a break every once in a while. But a place that seems too good to be true is probably too good to be true. Now it does vary also in location. Getting Botox in Philadelphia is going to be different than getting Botox in New York City or LA. We have Botox at $15 per unit, but somewhere in New York City might have something for $20, $22 per unit. Um, I would say, you know, $25, $30. It's a little much. And then, it, you know, down in the $10 and below price range is probably a little bit too low. But everybody gets different deals on Botox based on how much that you do. You know, you can get different prices. So just try to use your knowledge. Do your research on the injector that you're going to. At the end of the day, it's based on their expertise. I have seen and heard so many horror stories about going to someone that maybe wasn't reputable or doesn't didn't know exactly what they were supposed to be doing. So how important is it to go to maybe a doctor's office opposed to like a med spa or med studio or whatever it may be? 
I don't think that it's important to know, okay, I can only go to a dermatologist office. I can only go to a plastic surgery office because at med spas, there are sometimes physicians, PAs, NPs, nurse injectors who are all qualified to do, you know, injections. I think it's important to look at reviews. I think it's also helpful if you have any friends or family that happen to talk about it and getting personal recommendations and making sure that they do have some sort of board certification. Again, those, you know, for a physician, an NP, so a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant or physician associate and the nurse injectors, those all are great options to have. You are clearly so knowledgeable about this topic. Did you always want to go into the dermatology industry or you kind of fell into it and then discovered your passion for Botox and filler, which we need to get to soon? So I actually worked at Ringfeld Advanced Dermatology uh, as a medical assistant prior to going to PA school, physician assistant graduate school. And I absolutely fell in love with the practice, but I kept my mind open and I just found myself always coming back to dermatology. I love making people feel better about themselves. And I'm a very vibrant person. I like to have fun. I like to keep a smile on everyone's face. And it's my way to kind of allow people to just relax and feel like they're themselves and not feeling uncomfortable about something that they might have had a stigma about or that their friends have made them feel insecure about in the past. And so I've just kind of, it just happened. I love dermatology and Botox kind of came naturally to me. And here I am doing a lot of Botox and a lot of filler. I'm not just saying this. I have said this on my Instagram story. I've told family this, friends, my husband. You are the kind of person that every medical professional should aim to be because you make the person in the room feel so special and so comfortable, which bedside manners, let me tell you, are hard to come by in this industry at times. Not dermatology, just you know, medical professionals in general. But the way that you speak to the patients and the way that you describe things and you take your time. I have learned so much from you. What, I've spent maybe 15 minutes at each appointment. It's crazy how knowledgeable you are. And this is a testament to your knowledge on social media. You are doing everything right when it comes to social platforms because I built trust with you without you even knowing who I was. Like We didn't know each other and I was just like, wow, she is so informative. She is so entertaining. She is so motivating. I want to meet this person. And if you have a minute to follow someone on Insta today, give Brianna a follow because it's a good one. It's so good. Thank you so much, Molly. And I've learned so much from you too. I'll see you on your stories. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. And it's just so nice to connect <laughs> to, I think, some really young, you know, entrepreneurs and just, you know, people that just want to help others, you know, especially females in the Philadelphia region. And so it's been an absolute pleasure. Totally. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask you, can you specify the differences between Botox and filler for those listening? Yeah, for sure. So Botox is the brand name. There are other brands, Dysport, Javo, Xeomin, but it's a botulinum toxin. So it's an actual kind of powder substance that we dilute into a liquid that is injected into the muscle to create decreased movement, right? I it's actually a powder. It's a powder. An invisible powder. Mm-hmm. That has to be diluted. So that's why sometimes when I rush in between patients, it takes me a second because I have to actually mix up the Botox. Mm. 
Yeah. Now filler, there are a couple different types, but at our practice, we use predominantly hyaluronic acid based fillers. So they are gel based fillers that we inject to either create a kind of lifting vector to fill in a line or to kind of fill in a deficit, like kind of a hollowing on the cheek. And I think one of the main differences to know is that Botox is three to four months and filler can last a lot longer, you know, anywhere from six months to two years. So you really need to go to see your medical professional, get a proper evaluation and a consultation to know what you need for Botox, what you need for filler. It might be one, it might be the other, it might be both, but take the time to do it over time and don't try to rush into everything all at once. So do they treat the same things or Botox is primarily for wrinkles and filler is primarily for holes? That's not the right word for crevices. See, this is sexual. Crevices. I like that. No, it's interesting because I think people think about wrinkles in different ways. It's how the wrinkle was made, right? Was the wrinkle made by your muscular movement, like on the forehead or your crow's feet, or was the wrinkle made because as we age, our cheek fat pads descend and it pushes down, causing this wrinkle, or as we call it, a nasolabial fold, right? Uh, were the wrinkles around the mouth? you know, so pressed in there from smoking or drinking out of a straw that yes, we've done Botox, but they're so in there that now we need to augment it with a fine filler so that those results last longer for you than three months, right? So we can sometimes use them in the same areas to get the most, you know, achievable result that we want. It really depends. For lips, it's only filler, right? Mm. So filler can go into the actual mucosal lip, meaning kind of the pink part of your lip right? Botox can be injected directly above the lip to achieve two things. It can achieve a lip flip, which is so on brand on Instagram and TikTok these days. All that a lip flip is doing is it's stopping that muscle that causes when we smile for our lip to kind of go in. So it allows that when you smile, the lip stays out, but it does not change how your lip looks at baseline without smiling. Okay. Good to know. It's like a lip flip with a smile. Um, but not a baseline. We also can use it to prevent the amount of a pursing lip movement. So a, an O lip movement. So I use that a lot in kind of my older population that is starting to get the upper and lower lip lines. And then lastly, we can inject actually next to the nose um, to kind of decrease a gummy smile. So you're not able to lift up this muscle and cause too much of a gummy smile. Okay. And the lip filler or filler in the lip, I should say, it's the same thing six months to two years. So six months to usually 12 months in the lips. We can't use a super harsh filler or not harsh, but a thick filler in this area or else you'd look super lumpy and super ducky, right? Um, One of the fillers that lasts two years is one of my favorites, Juvederm Voluma, and we use that to contour the cheek, the jawline, the chin, and it's a super viscous filler. And so it's able to withstand a longer time. It's just not appropriate to put in some of those softer areas. Mm, Okay. Can you reverse the effect of filler or Botox? So you can reverse the effect of filler, but it depends on which one you get. And that's why it's also important to do some research on the type that you want. Um, That's why I personally use a lot of hyaluronic acid-based fillers, whether that's 
Juvederm products, Belotero, I use Revenus Versa, um, because you can use an enzyme called Hyalinex to dissolve that filler, either on the spot if an emergency should happen, which knock on wood hasn't happened to me, but you can also use it after the fact if people come from other offices, if they're not happy with the result, I can dissolve it before I start at square one. There are some other filler brands that are not hyaluronic acid based that are a little bit more difficult to dissolve. There are options, but you know, I'd rather be safe than sorry. Totally. Botox cannot be dissolved because we're injecting it into the muscle. It's not a gel. It's not a substance that's going to be placed there. The great thing about Botox, though, is that it goes away in about three to four months. So, you know, for some reason you feel like you're too tight, you don't like it, just don't ever get it again. So, wait, let's get technical here. Botox is going to the muscle, attaching to the muscle. That's why you can't dissolve it. What is filler technically attaching to? Or is it not attaching to anything? That's it's a just really great question. Entering. <laughs> really not attaching we're kind of just filling in a space now if i'm injecting it a crevice. kind of in crevice see i'm when i'm injecting it onto the cheek to create a contour i actually inject all the way down to bone um and so the filler actually lays down on that bone to kind of create more of that contour it's also the safest area because you don't have blood vessels directly on top of bone so it's a really safe area or way to inject whereas though i'm injecting the superficial lip lines I'm filling in that crevice that you talked about, and it's not really attaching anything as much as it's just kind of filling in that tissue. To be totally frank, what's the pain level here for both Botox and filler? I think Botox is super easy to go through. I tell all my patients, I inject myself in the selfie part of my camera at work. So I know, and I'm a baby, so I can do that to myself. You guys are okay. Um, it's like, I mean, you've had it. It's just little pinches. I mean, honestly, I think it feels like acupuncture. Everybody has a different mm-hmm. pain level um, for females. It also depends on where you are in your cycle. It can depend on the pain level and how sensitive you are. Yeah, if you're kind of right before your menses, it can be a little bit more painful for you. Uh, and also different areas hurt more than others. You know, injecting above the lip is more painful than injecting in the frown lines. For filler, a lot of areas we do topical numbing with kind of a lidocaine mixture and that definitely helps with the pinch. Though there is lidocaine in the filler so it kind of burns a little bit when you put it in. I've had my lips done a couple times. Like I don't love it. It does hurt a little bit. But beauty is pain. No, I mean, we get you through it. You know, you got your squeezy ball. I'm there. If you got to take breaks, go find your Zen space. We ice you afterwards. You know, everyone has been through it and a-okay. I'm asking selfishly for myself here. What is the pain like for under eye? Mm. It depends on where you go and what technique that you get. So I use a cannula-based technique where I have a little pinprick actually on the upper cheek. And then I take a blunt-tipped catheter almost, it's called a cannula, to get into all of the areas of the under eye. So honestly, it feels more weird than it hurts. You know, you're not used to having something feeling like it's in your under eye region every day. And your eyes have to be open while I'm doing it so that I can really see where that trough is, or at least that's how I prefer to do it. But I've had my patients tolerate the under eye way more than me injecting with a needle a bunch of times in the cheek. Okay, good to know. Keeping that You up can here. do it, girl. I got you. Ooh, I don't, eyes freak me out, but. Me too. Nice. Hence why I'm not in op, though. I could literally never. No. Ever. No. People that do like cataract <laughs> surgeries all day, every day thank goodness they do. You know, that's a big deal, Mm -hmm. but absolutely not. Yeah. 
I'm gonna say no. No, thank you. Are there side effects that should be shared aside from the slight bruising? Yeah, so I mean, bruising is definitely the biggest one that we see that happens. Otherwise, there is a risk of temporary numbness at the site of the injection, particularly when we inject in the upper lip, but it's just kind of like, oh, that feels a little bit weird and it's not permanent. It's really no big deal. Uh, there is a risk of a headache after the procedure, not super common, though it does happen to me every single time I get Botox, like every time. Uh, you know, taking those blood thinners before Botox is something, but afterwards, if you need to take Tylenol or Advil for that headache, it's fine. Um, and then, like we talked about, the risk of the eyelid droop. It's super rare. We haven't had it, knock on wood, happen to anyone in our practice. But that is always a possible side effect. And I always tell my patients to call immediately because early intervention is going to be key. There are eye drops and other interventions that you can do. What if someone comes in and they don't actually know what they want? Does that happen where they're kind of like, I think I want my face to be and I'm hoping that I can and they're like, but what do I actually need? Is that something that you experience a lot? Yeah. And that's the whole point of the cosmetic consultation and why I think they're so crucial is for us to be able to sit down, develop a plan together and make sure that the patient is content with the plan. You know, I have people that come in and they go, I want my face to look like this in this, in this, like, what do I need? <laughs> and then we break it down it. to achieve this. You can do this, or here's an alternative option. You know, there are sometimes that people tell me what they want. And I say, I don't think I'm the best person to help you. I think that you need to go see a plastic surgeon. I think that you would be better equipped seeing my esthetician for radio frequency microneedling. You know, I'm never afraid to say, you know, for the best result, it may not be me, but I'm going to help you to find the person that can. As far as preparing yourself for Botox or filler and then the aftercare. Is there anything that we didn't already share that's pretty important? Oh, no sweating, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. No sweating afterwards. I was like, huh? <laughs> um, yeah. So in terms of before, I would prefer if you didn't have a crazy night out at McGillan's the night before you come. That's amazing. Before you, right? Before you come in, you know, alcohol can also thin the blood a little bit. Um, it also can make you just feel dehydrated, a little bit woozy. I mean, this is a new experience. Needles are going into your face. And so it's just best to be hydrated, get a good night's sleep. And a lot of things, or one thing that a lot of people don't know is that to please eat before your procedure. If you're already nervous, you're hyped up with adrenaline and you haven't eat, that's when we can see people that can get a little woozy. And so please eat a full meal. In terms of, you know, afterwards, I tell my patients for Botox, no exercising for four hours. Filler, it's 24 hours because there was just a little bit more going on. Walking in the city is okay, but I don't want you to like go crazy on the Peloton or go to CrossFit immediately after any of these procedures. Do you remember the very first time I was, I literally came in and I was like, wait, so should I not wash my face tonight? And you're like, please wash your face. You have makeup on and sunscreen. You are taking this off. And I was like, okay, I'm glad I know. It's so true. I had a patient today that she was like, so I can't lay down until what? Like 1 a.m. tonight. And I saw her at like noon today. Oh my God. I was like, no, honey, like get a good night's rest. You know, there, every injector has different recommendations and please always listen to your specific providers. But for me, wash your face. It is a-okay. I wouldn't do any crazy facials, microdermabrasion, peels the same day as any of these procedures, but otherwise wipe that sunscreen off, lay down and live your best life. Live your best life. It's amazing. 
What is a really common misconception that you hear all the time in the dermatology world? It doesn't even have to be Botox or filler. Anything. That's a really great question. You know, I think that there's this misconception, and I think it is regarding, uh, you know, cosmetics, that you have to wait. You know, oh, I'm only 30. Oh, I'm only 20. Oh, I'm only... 65, right? There, there's always this kind of later age. And I think that life is too short to not want to do exactly what you want to do. And if there's something that has been bothering you for a really long time, take care of it. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, I was bullied for this or, oh, I've, it's, I've been looking at in the mirror. It could be that you woke up that day and it bothers you and you want to make yourself happy. You know, I, I don't think that there's any amount of time that you should have to suffer, you know, with something that's bothering you. Um, and so there's no perfect age, but you also don't need to wait until you're old to do anything. Yeah, it's a good point. Like, it doesn't have to be that deep of a reason. It's all good. Like, maybe you just no. don't like XYZ. Get it. I tell everyone, I'm like, I have lip filler. I have a little bit in my cheeks. I got my chin. And I have patients that look at me and they're like, wait, you get Botox, you don't need Botox. And I'm like, yeah, because I have Botox. That's why you think I don't need Botox. Yes, spot on. It, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. When it comes to people who say they don't need SPF, what do you say to them? Oh, oh my God, that's it's your worst nightmare. Right. Everybody needs SPF. And beyond us even talking about cosmetics, it is crucial and it's really been, you know, on my heart and my mind recently with these recalls on some of the sunscreens because a lot of people have said, oh, well, you know, don't put on any sunscreen. And that is just a huge, huge misconception. Maybe I should have said that was my biggest misconception in dermatology right now. So if you guys aren't aware, um, Aveeno and Neutrogena, so Johnson & Johnson that owns both of those companies, they did a recall on five of their spray sunscreens. You can use all of their lotions. If you want to be extra sure, use a physical-based sunscreen, so one that has zinc oxide or titanium dioxide in it, and please wear your sunscreen. I mean, you can decrease your risk of getting skin cancer, particularly melanoma, which can be life-threatening, by tenfold by wearing sunscreen, and not only wearing it in the morning, but reapplying it, especially for you city livers. You're walking around, you go to work and you're walking home and that sun is still out. You're getting UV exposure, even if it's cloudy. And so please, 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 sunscreen. One of the times I was in high school, I was like maybe 16, 17. I went to LBI with a friend and I sat on the beach for hours and it was so overcast. I was like, oh, I don't need sunscreen. I was so burnt. I could cry thinking about it. I was, I would look like a lobster. It was the worst week in my life because it was just so sensitive and so it hurt. I was it was practically sun poisoning. Oh, a thousand percent. And mm -hmm. a lot of the worst sunburns happen when it's cloudy out because people don't think that they have to wear SPF at all. And I feel like the UV rays are even worse, which makes no sense to me, but they say it's true. <laughs> Yeah. It, I mean, it kind of definitely depends on where you are also in the world and near the equator and what have you. But when in doubt, put on that sunscreen, lather it up. At least people I think are getting a little bit better. I mean, I did tanning beds in high school and I could punch myself. So oh. now I work in Durham, so I'll be able to find my melanoma quickly, I hope. How often should people be going for skin checkups? Which by the way, I just booked for, with you. Oh my gosh. So exciting. In like two weeks. I was like, oh, she has an opening. Head to toe in all the cracks and crevices. 
crevices. So actually there is no kind of full recommendation for the time that you should start and how often you should do them. It's not like, you know, for mammograms that women age 50 should get mammograms annually or a colonoscopy, you know, age 50 to do them annually. But it definitely depends on skin type, uh, the amount of sun exposure in a lifetime, family history, how many moles a person has. These all kind of go into effect. My best recommendation is go in and see your dermatologist. They'll tell you, hey, we'll just check out a couple or we will do a full body. And then they will say to you afterwards, let's do them annually. Let's do them every two years. There really is no recommendation, but I think it's always good to establish care at least once. Yeah, makes sense. And like for someone like me, pale, I have a lot of moles. I went in tanning beds. I'm 27 years old and I for sure will be doing skin checks annually. So someone that's in kind of my situation, absolutely. Do you check yourself? Is that possible? Absolutely not. And I wouldn't even trust myself, to be honest. I mean, I'm so used to seeing my moles every day. I think I'd think, oh, Mm. that doesn't look funky, right? I feel the same way about family members. Yes, I can look over, but I always like to have a colleague take a second look, um, especially regarding family members. So I just will kind of quickly strip and be like, Dr. Ringfile, look at my body, help. I love it. I love it. I ask everyone who comes on the show to share their favorite product, but I'm going to ask you to do it twice. Your favorite skincare product and then your favorite product. It could be absolutely anything. It could be something that you purchase, you were gifted, you subscribe to. I want to hear it. Ooh, okay. My favorite skincare product by far is my retinoid, my tretinoin. I mean, I feel like so many people are like, oh, it's this brand of da-da-da. No, plain old as day retinoid, um, which is tretinoin. It should be the staple in everybody's anti-aging skincare regimen. You can either get it prescribed to you or you can buy it at some dermatology offices, med spas, that sort of thing. And it really helps with chemical exfoliation of the skin, evening out skin texture and tone. It both treats and prevents acne um, and it helps to build collagen within the skin. So kind of little tidbit of the day. Everybody should have a retinoid on board unless you're pregnant or nursing. I actually have that. I always say it incorrectly. Tretinoin? Tretinoin. So there's not an N before the T. Tretinoin. Tretinoin. How often do you... (laughs) Yes, I passed. How often do you use it? It varies for everybody. You really should start low and slow. The biggest mistake is to use too much of it too fast because it can be pretty irritating. So a pea-sized amount, a green pea-sized amount, you take a little piece of that pea, you dab on one cheek, a little piece of the pea, dab here, 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 and spread into your entire face. My point being, you do not put a whole pea here and a whole pea here and a whole pea here. You're going to dry the crap out of your skin. Um, And I tell my patients, you know, maybe start two nights a week. Start three nights a week. Start every other night. You know, slowly building up to nightly. But some people can never use it nightly. And that's okay. Do not peel your skin off. That's going to do more damage than good. Awesome. I mean, not awesome, but noted. (laughs) Okay, so that is your favorite skincare product. What about a general product recommendation? So I'm pretty plain Jane. I'm not someone that like religiously uses anything. I use drugstore makeup. Like I'm very just crunchy granola in that aspect. I only put on eyebrow pencil and mascara so that I could chat with you lovely lady because I knew you'd be like looking super cute. But something that I've absolutely loved recently is my new lab coat, my Metalita lab coat, because I wear it 
literally every single day at work. And I'm finally able to like lift my arms and like stretch. I was using a lab coat before and every time I like lifted an arm, I was like, like can't reach for my skin checks. Um, so that's definitely be, been my new fan favorite. And I've become really good friends with my uh, dry cleaners down the street and they're keeping me extra crisp and my lab coat white. I love it. Shout out to the dry cleaners. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So for people who want to ask you more questions, maybe book an appointment with you, just stalk your Instagram, share with us how they can find you. For sure. So my Instagram handle is unfiltered beers. Yes, like the drink beers. That is my last name. And I thought I'd be punny. I don't know. Um, But on there, you can kind of see just a little bit about my lifestyle. I talk a lot about dermatology and everything. You can feel free to direct message me on there, you know, comment on any of my posts and my stories. In order to see me in the office, I would absolutely love that, even if it's just for a consult or to chat about anything skin related, whether it's medical or cosmetic. I work in both the Haverford office on the main line and in the Center City location at 15th and Locust. You can book online at www.ringderm.com or by calling the office and we can get all that information to Molly. You should do voiceovers for like commercials or something. That was so professional. www. I'm like, whoa, who is this? I think it's the rasp. I had one guy that worked the deli counter at Walmart told me that I should have my own radio station. <laughs> I'm sorry. The deli counter at Walmart. I love you. Forget about being a Derm PA. You'll catch me on a radio soon. I would listen to 100% every day while wearing my sunscreen to and from work. Thanks, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for, for coming on. This was amazing. Good. You're the best, honey. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Seriously. See you soon. Happy night. For all the crevices. See you. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share with your friends, family, loved ones, really anyone who you think would gain value from this episode. And if you're feeling up for it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It means so, so much. 